Hey everyone, you're listening to How's the Climate, your Richmond Hill-based podcast focused on bringing climate awareness and education to Richmond Hill residents. I'm Emiko, and today I will be speaking with Councillor David West, Richmond Hill's Ward 4 Councillor who works diligently to help Richmond Hill work towards tackling the climate crisis. Councillor West is also an award-winning photographer, retired teacher, and the founder of Richmond Hill's EnviroFest. Hello, Councillor West. Thank you for uh, having me on today. Um, so my name is David West. I'm the Ward 4 Councillor uh, in Richmond Hill. Uh, I live in Richmond Hill, of course, and, and uh, I have a, um, a son uh, who is in his 20s now, and, uh, and I'm, I'm married to my, uh, my wife, Michelle, and uh, we've lived here for, for most of my adult life. Um, I grew up in Maple, uh, so it's not too far away, and I, I went to Langstaff High School, so I feel like I've been in Richmond Hill for all of my life. Um, anyway, I, I, as I mentioned in the bio, I, um, I'm interested in photography in my spare time, um, and I spent a lot of time as a young child, um, you know, using my camera to explore the, the world, including the natural world, so um, I think that maybe was one of the first uh, you know, points of contact with me um, in be- becoming interested in the environment and nature. It's so interesting. This is a common thread that we've seen throughout our guests on these episodes is just that initial love for the outdoors and the environment, which drives their current climate action. Along those lines, why do you care so much about the environment and the climate crisis? Other than the, the very important aspect that, you know, it's becoming pretty clear for anybody that's paying attention that um, we have some some situations with regard to climate that really need to be addressed for our own well-being as a species, you know, going forward and our future generations. So, I mean, that's all obviously one of the reasons I care so much about this. But I also think, um, you know, I this is something that I've has really become a part of me as a as a person. Um, I was lucky enough when I was a, a little kid to grow up at a cottage in northern Ontario with my my mom and dad and brother. And um, you know, this cottage was in the middle of nowhere. It had no electricity, no no telephone, and there were no cell phones at that time. I should add. Um, but I think that you know there was a lot of time to be spent during the day, you know, uh, walking around, you know, going fishing, being on the lake, being in the canoe, um, tromping around in the woods with my camera. Um, and I think that you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, being a you know having a camera in your hands really I think makes people stop and and really see um, the world. And I think that was a very important part of my upbringing that really solidified uh, my love for the environment as we went forward. Another thing that my brother and I did uh, when we were very young um, was raise monarch butterflies. And um, I remember this because this was before that it was discovered where monarch butterflies um, uh, migrated to. And um, in fact, we actually asked Dr. Urquhart, who was a Canadian scientist from U of T that discovered uh, the place in Mexico where they went, if you know a couple of kids uh, could help him with his, his monarch tagging program. And the answer came back, no, thank you. We were really looking for adults, which was fine, I guess. Um, but I think that all of that really solidified for me the kind of the wondrousness of the natural world and the, and the complexity. Um, the other thing I think that happened during that time, which I, you know, I, I look back on and think it was pretty life-changing, was we were under a real threat um, in that area where the cottage was uh, with acid rain. And it's not something that we talk about very much anymore because we've, you know, for the most part, we've kind of got a handle on that problem. But at the time, that was a real threat to my, you know, to my, my lake. 
and you know in my environment and um, it caused me a lot of concern and, and I you know did a lot of thinking and reading and, and, and so on about that. So and then in university I did my undergraduate thesis on why uh, Ontario Hydro should not be damming the last remaining portion of this river, uh, the Mississauga River, up in in uh, you know in, in the area where the cottage was, and through that exercise, I came up with a lot of um, understanding about even how things like hydroelectricity, which you know are a fairly clean energy source, are really not that clean. Um, so you know, there's a lot of decisions that we make that have to be balanced between um, you know damaging damaging the environment and you know living a, a more sustainable uh, life. And I think that all of those things combined uh, kind of put me where we are. And I, I guess fast forward to today, you know, Richmond Hill is we're in a very lucky position in the in the Ontario. Um, we have this huge legacy of the Oak Ridge's moraine. And I really feel and have felt since the time that I've lived here that you know we have a real obligation, um, both practical and moral, um, I believe, to be protecting the Oak Ridges from moraine um, because it does so much for the entire province, including drinking water and, and flood um, uh, remediation and, and flood control from stormwater runoff and so on. So I think that all of that, um, when I became a counselor, uh, translated to, you know, whenever I, one of the many things that I'd like to be able to bring to the table is um, a real focus on, you know, environmental issues and doing the right thing and, and living in a sustainable way. Interesting and inspirational story. Um, and you clearly know so much about the environment and how Richmond Hill plays into that. Um, as for the environment in Richmond Hill, would you be able to tell us a little bit about some recent environmental accomplishments uh, by the city and why they matter? Sure, actually, I'd be very proud to do that. <laughs> um, so one of the things with Richmond Hill is that um, I think people in Richmond Hill really do care about the environment. And I think that's really obvious. And so being able to do th good things for the environment, there is quite a bit of support um, for, for those initiatives. And, I'm, and it makes the job a whole lot easier. Um, and I think that that history of environmental support goes way back long before I was on council. So, you know, in fairness, I've tried to do what I've been able to do on council, but this support for the environment and doing the right thing has gone back a long way. Um, you know, I, I always hearken back to before I was on council in around the 2000 mark, um, we had some really hugely attended meetings um, for the Oak Ridge's Moraine and protecting that. And, and I know that councillors like Councillor Hogg at the time, you know, put a, were a, a leading force in making sure that we, you know, cordoned off areas that needed to be protected on the Oak Ridge's Moraine. Um, in 2020, this year, or last year, I guess, um, we actually did um, a poll of our residents to ask them what it was important about the environment. And um, the, the environment rated very high. Um, I think some councillors were a little surprised by that. I was not. Um, but I was really proud of our community for stepping up and voicing that. Um, so one of the, the things that came out of that poll was that our, our new council strategic uh, initiatives document, uh, one of the pillars in that document is balancing green and growth, which I really think encapsulates probably the biggest um, challenge that we have with regard to the environment in a place like Richmond Hill. Um, and of course, we also have a document called uh, Greening the Hill, 
which is our environmental strategy. And uh, it's been in play now since about the same time I got on council. In fact, I was a citizen helping um, to provide input for that document. But it has provided uh, a good uh, kind of beacon for us to follow. Um, so some, some of the more recent uh, initiatives specifically um, that I've been proud to work on. Um, we, we did have an initiative recently where um, the city has uh, done what they can within their jurisdiction to reduce single-use plastics. Um, obviously, during a, a pandemic, when single-use plastics are really, uh, you know, in a lot of ways with our PPE, are, are doing a lot to protect us. Um, but even on that backdrop, um, you know, we are taking steps and, and, and working towards uh, a time where we can reduce plastics, both as a corporation, um, like the city of Richmond Hill, um, you know, we will be asking for us to be reducing single-use plastics uh, in our events and our meetings, uh, you know, in all of the activities that we do as much as we, you know, can. Um, but we're also offering uh, incentives and programs and recognition for companies that um, would like to also reduce plastics in their own private businesses in Richmond Hill. And so I think if we all work together, there, there's definite um, progress that we can make. Um, and we're not the only municipality, by the way. I mean, there's lots of municipalities and the province of Ontario and Canada, uh, the government of Canada are also working in the same direction. So I believe we're all pulling on the same rope in the same direction, and that's a good thing. Um, one of the things I was probably most proud of is um, a, a motion that I put forward about a year and a bit ago um, to give more focus to our climate change initiatives. And um, I think a lot of really good things are coming out of that. Um, the motion itself provided our, our uh, environmental staff with some clear direction on where we need to go um, to reduce our carbon footprint, uh, both again as a corporation and as, a, as individuals in our community. Um, and we are, in fact, on this council meeting coming up on this Wednesday, uh, we are we're we'll going to be looking at uh, uh, and one of the, the last steps in the process to pass our community energies and, and emission plan. And the general direction of that community energy and emissions plan is to drop um, our collective um, community greenhouse gas output to net zero, um, which is a bold move and it, and it will not be easy. There'll be lots of decisions along the way and it'll take some time, but I think, you know, every journey starts with the first step and, and you know, this, this I believe is a good first step. Um, another thing I was quite pleased with um, that, you know, we were able to do is two motions. One was a motion in, I think it was around 2015 or 16, uh, where Richmond Hill was one of the first communities in Canada to sign the um, National Wildlife Federation Mayor's Monarch Pledge. And so this was a pledge that actually wasn't that difficult for us to achieve, but it lays out a number of different initiatives um, to protect uh, monarch butterflies. And um, I mentioned earlier, I, I mean, I've had a long history with monarch butterflies, but I, I still, you know, they are a species that are very threatened. And um, I mean, really at the end of the day, I believe that as a species, they are a very fragile species, but there's a number of threats that humankind is creating that are causing uh, monarchs to be even more in danger, including climate change and, um, you know, agricultural practices all across North America. So Richmond Hill signed the pledge to take uh, specific uh, and, and measurable actions to uh, make for better habitat for monarch butterflies. But 
at the end of the day, it's not just about monarch butterflies. Um, you know, anything we do for monarch butterflies is probably also good for climate change, and it's certainly good for uh, pollinating insects. So a few years ago, after the monarch pledge was signed, um, I had a young lady come to me that was very passionate about us signing uh, a pledge to support uh, bees and pollinating insects. And she was a high school student, um, and um, it was very hard to say no to her, not that I would have wanted to, because I think it was a very good idea. Um, but anyway, we, we also then passed an additional motion called the Bee City Pledge, and it reinforces a lot of the things that were already in the Monarch Pledge, but also adds a few more things. So we're starting to see more restoration of habitat um, that will benefit both monarch butterflies and other butterflies and pollinating insects. Um, and again, it's, it's all folded into uh, good climate uh, practices. So I'm really proud of the work that we've done on that. Um, a couple more, I mean, we are, we just recently passed um, an urban forestry plan and uh, our urban forests are under a lot of pressure right now. Um, the emerald ash borer, which is an in invasive species from um, another place has come to Ontario and really wiped out uh, ash trees in our community. Um, we're at the tail end of that. I mean, we've lost thousands and thousands and thousands of trees across Ontario. And uh, unfortunately, these ash trees were trees that we really planted a lot on, on boulevards and we planted whole streets with the same kind of tree, which we, know, we now know is a bad idea, period. You know, Mother Nature does not have monocultures. Um, but you know, we've removed the, the dead and dying trees and, and are, are replanting those. And the urban forestry master plan gives um, a set of criteria and guidance from council to our staff um, to manage our forests and manage invasive species uh, and threats from climate change and, and all the rest. Um, a healthy forest is a very important um, part of uh, uh, you know, reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. So I think that's very important. And I guess um, the, the final thing, you know, we, we really do have a lot more to do. I mean, um, I, I, I suspect that there will likely never be a day where, you know, people um, have to, you know, don't worry about it. We've solved all the environmental problems and, and everything is going to be just fine. And I, I think if you look back in history, um, you know, even back into well before settlers arrived in Canada and, and other cultures too, I mean, people were either taking care of their environment well or paying the consequences later. Um, so I, you know, I think that we have more to do. Um, you can call them challenges or you can call them opportunities, but I think that like with regard to uh, our, our greenhouse gas and climate change initiatives, um, you know, the opportunities are doing things better and doing things more efficiently and probably also creating an opportunity for um, high quality and high paying jobs to develop products and ways of doing things that don't exist today. Um, so not only are we protecting the environment, but we're probably also opening up economic opportunities, um, which in turn, having people lifted out of poverty and, and doing better economically probably also has spin-off benefits for the environment as well. So lots to do and lots that we have done, but um, you know, I'm committed to moving forward with, with all these initiatives. That's really great. Richmond Hill is so much to be proud of. And not only is the community so supportive and passionate about this, it's clear that uh, their representatives are listening and willing to make those changes as well, which is really great. 
As for that community and sort of making these decisions, how can citizens help our elected representatives make good decisions on their behalf? Actually, an excellent. I, I, I think the bottom line is that um, for a democracy to work and for citizens to, to have their government do what they want them to do, the, the simple truth is that they need to participate. And, um, I, you know, I, the, the, I guess the good news is that with all of these different ways to communicate that we have right now, there's lots and lots of ways that it can be done. But I think um, there are no shortcuts. Um, you know, we, we do need people to um, stand up and, you know, council elected officials are, are asked to make difficult and complex decisions all the time. And, that, and that's part of the job. Um, in fact, I think that's probably one of the, my favorite parts of the job. Um, however, I think that, um, you know, it's really important that, um, you know, people give elected officials the permission to do the right thing. Um, you know, when, when young people like yourself, especially, I, I really believe that it's important um, that both young and old and, you know, everyone in between um, feel that something with the environment needs to become better or it needs to change or whatever. Um, I think it's important that those voices um, be heard. And, and if enough people um, stand up and say, you know, we really need to take action on greenhouse gas, this is getting out of hand. Um, the, every individual that writes to a counselor or calls a counselor or speaks to them, you know, at, a, at an event or whatever, it, to me anyway, it adds up. And if I know, you know, I've heard countless times that people want us to do X. It, when the time comes to make a decision on doing X, it becomes increasingly easy um, for uh, an elected official to do that thing. Now, I mean, you know, obviously we can't always, you know, get what we want to achieve because it, often it's a very complex way to get there. But I think people also need to understand the complexities of in issues like environmental issues. So they, they know when the government is, is moving in the right direction. I mean, they may not hit the destination immediately, but they're, we're, we're moving at a, at a reasonable pace to the, to the, you know, the, the target. And, uh, you know, environmental issues, um, as I mentioned earlier, are, are tend to be very multifaceted and tend to touch on a lot of different aspects. So um, I think it's also contingent on all of us as citizens to make sure that we're well-informed and that we know um, you know, what success looks like and, and what we should specifically be asking of our, you know, elected officials. So, um, you know, writing emails, going to council meetings, um, you know, and getting to know your elected representatives is really uh, important. Um, you know, it, it should be very, very, um, people should be very familiar with the people that they elect. Um, and, you know, there's, there should be no hesitation whatsoever to reach out it's so powerful to hear you say that, especially knowing that there's so many listeners at home who are interested in making um, a positive change. In addition to talking to our politicians, what suggestions do you have for making a real um, impact on the environment? Um, you know, having conversations with uh, other people, uh, your peers, your family. One of the things I, I find with environment is I don't know everything that I'm going to know. And um, every time I talk to somebody that either knows more or maybe less than I, I, I usually uh, learn something. One of the things that I, I you know, I, I had an environment uh, meeting uh, February of 2020, I guess. 
And um, one of the presenters in that that I learned a lot from was uh, talking about the effect of, of food waste on, on uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And I've heard this since that time, too, that if food waste was a country, it would be like the second biggest uh, emitter of um, greenhouse gas or something like that. You know, it, it's a little thing. It may just mean shopping more carefully, doing meal planning a little bit better. I think that we could all probably use less meat um, in our diet, particularly um, beef and, and uh, other types of red meat that are heavier on the greenhouse gas um, emissions when they're produced. You know, Richmond Hill and, and most other GTHA communities, and they're um, working on uh, creating a more transit-oriented community. And we are increasingly becoming um, a community where we have more bike lanes and trails and so on. It would be great if people could start to use, you know, active transportation more than they are now. There is a lot more opportunity to walk. And um, the new bus rapid transit way up Young Street, um, we have bicycle lanes there. And, and you know, when they're open, and they should, they should be shortly, um, I'm hoping people will start to use them. Um, so I think that, you know, and also transit. Um, you know, our transit system is not fully mature yet, but, you know, maybe more trips can be taken on transit rather than driving. You know, another thing that I think people can do is, um, you know, appliances that we own that maybe are getting a little long in the tooth. Um, you know, instead of repairing something that really is an older appliance with technology that wasn't particularly energy efficient, you know, we can replace those uh, appliances with more energy efficient appliances um, and, you know, help to collectively reduce our, our greenhouse gas emissions. You know, that, that includes um, LED light bulbs. Um, everything, uh, the last couple of things that I've mentioned also are probably less expensive, which is kind of a nice, a nice byproduct. I think, you know, planting things on our property is really important. Um, you know, planting native species in our garden helps to, you know, stop uh, stormwater runoff during a large storm event, which is, is important. Um, and, I, you know, plant a tree. I, I know that sounds kind of uh, uh, a little bit trite, perhaps, but I mean, you know, uh, planting native trees especially, um, you know, are, it, it's a real investment in the future. You know, I think somebody said one time, you know, when is the best time to plant a tree? And the answer is, you know, 50 years ago, but the second best time to plant it is today. Large trees around uh, houses also have benefits, you know, keeping the house cool, which reduces um, cooling costs. And, you know, and frankly, that's going to save you money as well. The, this, your, your generation is going to be the one that inherits this. And um, I think that the decisions that we are making right now need all voices to be a part of that, including younger voices. So I would very much encourage yourself and, and as an older person, I would always try to encourage younger people to make sure that they get involved in, in our, all of our decisions because it matters. Thank you so much. That's a whole uh, list of tips and I think those are really helpful. And even to think if every person who listened to this podcast were to go out and plant a tree, suddenly you've got a lot more trees that are going to be um, in the community. And that's really nice to think about, especially um, after you talked about the Emerald Ash Borer earlier. You know, we're doing our part to sort of replace those trees that are being lost. So to recap, we're going to have those conversations and we're going to make sure we reach out to our elected representatives. We're going to think more consciously about what we are eating when it comes to food waste um, and also reducing the meat in our diets. 
We're going to think about how we are getting to and from places. Uh, if it's a short enough distance to walk, let's um, make that a, a trip that you're doing on your feet. And we're also going to think about gardening, which I think is a really, really great suggestion because just being outside and getting your hands in the dirt, you've talked about how much that played into your love for the environment being outside so often when you were younger. So that's a really great suggestion to try to get into gardening and plant that tree. Um, and then the last one was uh, youth getting their voices heard. And we need, I do think we need to remember that there's always a seat at the table for us, even if we don't necessarily have as much experience um, when it comes to living or <laughs> the climate crisis. Um, our voices are really important and it's, it works um, well for everyone when we're making them heard. Did I miss anything? No, that was that was excellent. You know, just if I could come back to the youth um, uh, part of what I said, you know, one of the things I was a, a teacher at one time, and um, during that time, I taught grade five, so this is you know younger kids, but during that time, uh, recycling was started to become a real thing, and uh, I didn't really, you know, in, in the moment, I guess I didn't see it in this perspective, but as I look back on that. The thing is about um, recycling is that it, um, uh, it, at a school age level, it, it helped young people who would go home then and, and help their parents to understand the importance of recycling. Um, I think that there is a, an ability for young people to understand um, it and then pass on that learning to, to parents. You know, helping young people to understand the value of the natural world is also really important. And... Um, I saw that as a teacher. It was pretty clear that the wonder that you could see on these kids' faces um, in an environment that they weren't all that familiar with. And I think today, you know, in Richmond Hill, we have lots of opportunity to be up close and personal with the environment. But I think there's also a lot of distraction in our lives. And maybe we don't spend quite as much time really stopping to see things as well as we can. Because a quote that I have above my desk that I, I think about quite a bit, and it's by an African environmentalist named uh, Baba Diom. Uh, For in the end, we will conserve only what we love. We will only love what we understand, and we will understand only what we are taught. And I've, I've, I saw that quote a number of years ago, and I thought that really is important um, in, in moving us forward into a future where, you know, we understand um, the environment and we're ready to fight for it. And I think that it all starts with, you know, uh, education and falling in love with something that you're willing to protect. I think that's a great way to end off our episode today with that lovely quote from Baba Dion. The importance of education really can't be understated. And that is a lovely uh, quote that ties it together, I think, with uh, what we're doing here today, which is you know, ultimately educating about the environment and climate change. Councillor West, thank you so much for coming on to How's the Climate to speak with me today. I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to hear your opinions and insight. Um, and I think the listeners out there will have found this episode really inspiring and have some tangible actions to go off and do now after listening. And that concludes today's episode. We'll see you next time here on How's the Climate.
podcast is brought to you by Making Waves, a Canadian youth team based in the GTA focused on bringing climate education to Richmond Hill. We are alum of Youth Challenge International's Innovate My Future program and are supported by Evergreen Canada and Resilient Richmond Hill. Thanks to Joshua Chang for our music and Matthew Wong for today's content. Our team includes Romina Murtesh, Lucy Mao, Matthew Wong, and me, Emiko Wajay Sindra. Catch you next time.